Hey Church of the Beloved, my name is Kevin Zoe and I'm the production manager here at COTV. I wanted to give a quick update on the status of our sermon podcast. As we move from the separate campuses model back to a single unified church, we will be discontinuing separate podcasts for downtown, South Loop, and Wicker Park. Starting in August, we will be retiring the South Loop and Wicker Park podcasts and we will rebrand the downtown podcast as the primary Church of the Beloved sermon podcast. Be sure to subscribe to keep up with our sermons each week. You can find the podcast on most podcast platforms, and there's also a link on our website at cotb.life messages. God bless and have a great week. I want to thank you all for joining us, whether it's virtually or in person. Uh, if you're new, uh, we'd love to get connected with you maybe connect you to a small group or something like that, you can either go online to cotv.life, tap the connect with us button, or text cotv to 97000. Or if you're here in person, please just uh, grab me or one of the folks wearing a blue lanyard uh, or who Derek just prayed for. Uh, We'd love to connect you to the community as a whole, uh, get you connected to who we are as a church. As an aside, if you've been here for a little bit and you're interested in becoming a member and committing to this community, we're also going to be having a new member class. It's just one class and dinner uh, in a few weeks. And if you're interested in that, come talk to me as well or to Eugenia. Uh, she's the one in the back holding one of her kids so, and helping with the camera at the same time. I want to go ahead and ask if we could, we'll start with a prayer and then we'll dive into scripture today. Let's pray. Almighty God, I want to thank you so much. You are sovereign. Um, Nothing can pluck us from your hand, God. And I thank you for the opportunity for us to gather together as a body of believers, as family, as your beloved. I pray that the words of my mouth be a conduit of your truth alone, God. And may this time be a blessing not only to those here, but to you. A glorious blessing to you, God. A sweet fragrance to you. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Um, again, I'm Abe. Uh, I'm the pastor here. And today we're going to continue on this week three of our sermon series that we started a few weeks back on the 12 minor prophets. Um, I, I just want to mention that starting next week, I'm going to take a little bit of a break, just two weeks uh, from preaching. I'm still going to be here worshiping with you, but I'm just going to step off the pulpit for a moment. And we're going to have two old friends sharing the gospel with us. One of them is Pastor Tay Huang. He used to be a part of our church. He's currently planting a church in Evanston. He's going to step in uh, next week. And then Pastor Ashanti Petaway, he's actually part of the Chicago Partnership. Uh, it's a group that plants churches in Chicago. He'll be here in a couple weeks. Um, so we're going to take a little break from the uh, sermon series and have Tay and Ashanti share the gospel with us during those two. I want to mention every morning, uh, I try to spend a few hours before I head out for my day job studying the passage we're going to focus on, praying that God would open up my eyes and my mind to the truth that he wants me to share with all of you, with our family, the beloved. And as I was studying Amos, um, something became really apparent to me regarding this entire series, not just simply Amos, which is this. I don't think I'm doing these prophets do justice by focusing only on one per Sunday. I, at least not the first three that we've looked at, because there's so much going on in Hosea and Joel and Amos, so much backstory, so much front story, there's just a lot of stuff happening there. And 
this, this series is actually covering, if you look at it, nearly half a millennium in these 12 books. The historians have estimated that these 12 cover about the period from 800 to 400 BC. Now, we're not changing our plan. We're still going to focus on one book per week. But I want to take them a moment to encourage you to take the time over the week, please, to, to dive into these books on your own, yourselves. Go, go to your small groups, uh, having already read the book. Uh, ask questions. Dive deeper. Because all I can do right now is, from the pulpit, give you some of the highlights so that you can unpack these scriptures and these truths yourselves, giving you the truth in part so that you can worship God in full. So I, I would encourage that. But today, we will take a look at Amos. And as we get into that, you know, I mentioned at the very start of this series that, you know, I would really look at the historical context only if it really became important and necessary to fully understand uh, the, the book in, in general and the themes of it. And this one, it is absolutely necessary. First, this is one thing. Amos was not a traditional um, prophet. At the same time, I'm not exactly sure what he was, because if you look at the original Hebrew, it can be a little bit confusing, because Amos was either a shepherd or a sheep breeder. He was either a fruit picker or an orchard owner, because if you look at the original Hebrew, uh, reading the Christian Standard Bible, it translates uh, noked into sheep breeder. He called Amos a sheep breeder from Tekoa. In the English Standard Version, it translates noked to a shepherd of Tekoa. A shepherd takes care of sheep, protecting them from danger, guiding them around. A sheep breeder owns the sheep, brings on a shepherd to protect them. Another thing that it talks about is uh, in, in the is this bre- uh, Chapter 7, verse 14, it speaks of in the Christian Standard Bible uh, that Amos took care of the sycamore figs, but the ESV translates that same passage to dresser of sycamore figs. So it either means Amos was like an arborist or gardener, or he owned an orchard of sycamore figs. Either way, I'm not sure what it's supposed to be. So Amos was either a blue-collar worker bee, or he was a white-collar landowner. I'm not sure. Now, this is, this is for the kids that are in the room. If you don't have uh, a little clipboard uh, from Linda, our beloved kids director, please, we, we can get one for you. But I'm going to ask you to do me a favor. If you're under the age of 15, <laughs> if you're over the age of 15 you want to do it, you can as well. But you won't have paper given to you. Um, I want you to draw a picture. All right? Actually, I want you to draw two pictures. I want you to draw a picture of a shepherd, and I want you to draw a picture of that shepherd's boss, okay? The sheep breeder, right? And I want uh, the one that owns the sheep that the shepherd's watching. And I want you to try to draw this shepherd to, and make them look like they're, they're obeying God. Right? I want you to figure out what that looks like for yourselves. And, and then afterwards, please show me what you drew. I would love to see it. But not right now, after service. So don't come up here until we're, we're, we're done with service today, okay? So those are for the anyone under 15. Now, For everyone else, I'm not sure which one best describes Amos, whether he was a rich man or a poor man, boss or worker bee. But but I do think that the most important aspect to consider about Amos is that he was not a Bible scholar. And despite that, he was being obedient to God's call to serve in a specific ministry for a specific time. Because God can and God does call anyone to serve, sometimes in very unique and unexpected ways. I mean, God called me, a guy who 
just moved to Chicago with his wife to work from San Francisco, from all his friends and family to work in a software company. And then at the same time decided you're also going to serve as the interim senior pastor for the Church of the Beloved. Because God can and God does call each of us a servant, sometimes in very unexpected ways, pushing us outside of our comfort zone for the sake of his glory and for the sake of his beloved. Another thing from a context or background perspective that I think is important for us to consider is the political and the financial status and situation of Israel at the time. Let me explain. The king at that time, his name was Jeroboam. The dominant power at that time was Assyria. Now, here's the thing. Assyria was really busy dealing with a, a growing nation. They were called the Uratu. And so Israel, as a result, because of the Uratu, they were being ignored, which meant that the nation of Israel had stability and had peace. Enough of it to start growing comfortable and growing quite wealthy. But it was at the expense of the poor and the vulnerable. And was, it was leading to a society of conspicuous consumption and debased debauchery. And as I was preparing for today, considering that description of Israel, it kind of made me think of a, a term uh, that you may be familiar with, bro culture. If you're not familiar with the concept, I, I did look up in Urban Dictionary what the definition of bro culture is, and this is what it says there. It says a subculture revolving around bros. Uh, bros are men, usually college age, that like to hang out, watch and play sports, drink beer, and throw parties. They usually tease each other, banter heavenly, and make lots of dares, and just generally annoying. Um, now, if you think about it, the Israelites of that time, in my opinion, I think they took that bro culture mentality and upped it to the nth degree. They, they created an environment where, where we're cheating the poor was to become richer was okay. It was the norm. It, it created a space where, where denying justice to the vulnerable was expected. It was, it, was, it was not a good time if you didn't have a voice, power, or money. And that was the context that Amos was stepping into when he spoke the truth that God had given him to share. A few weeks back, uh, there was a tornado warning for those of you who are in the Chicago area. It was sent via emergency text notification to everyone's phone. And uh, ours came to us while we were in our house, Wicker Park, on Saturday morning around 11.30, 11.45 a.m. And it's just as our Saturday morning small group was starting to wrap up, we we're sharing prayer requests. And suddenly, everyone's phone Literally, except for anyone on AT&T. Everyone else's phones just went nuts. And to the AT&T customers, sorry to throw a little bit of shade, but yours didn't show up until like 15 minutes later, so it was kind of ridiculous. You would have been dead. Anyway, this, this freaked us all out. You know, it's, everyone's phone's going off, so everyone, of course, grabs their phone. Except mine. I, I turn off emergency notifications because I find them distracting. But, so I had to ask somebody else in the group to, to read what was going on, and they did. And this is... Tornado warning. Okay, got it. No big deal. We continued on. We continued on gathering prayer requests, just sitting around the uh, dining room table. Until, until one of the folks in our group, her name is uh, Nicole. She's one of the worship singers here. Uh, she did give me permission to, to mention her by name. She stopped us and said, hey, um, that's a tornado warning. Shouldn't we be doing something like going into the basement or a bathroom, just someplace without a window, sheltering in place or something like that? And she was basically saying, you know, shouldn't we listen to, to the warning on our phone? 
there's another guy in our small group. His name's Adam. I also asked for his permission to call him out by name. Uh, if you don't know him, he's a long-haired, blonde guy who's always on the one wheel. But he and I, we're from Chicago, and I think we were thinking the same way. Tornadoes don't come into Chicago. They, they're afraid or something. They don't get into the city. There's just no tornadoes in the city ever. So we didn't take a seat. Honestly, if a tornado, during that warning, all he and I did was stare and look at all the rain, like, wow, that's so cool. There's so much water coming down. I'm just so glad I have a good sump pump. You know, that was basically how we were thinking. But we realized um, Nicole had a very valid point. We'd just been warned, and it was only wise to, to heed that warning. So we did all go down into the basement and continued with our prayer time. What I want to do today, like, like Nicole said, is I want to take a moment to consider what are the warnings, the, the emergency notifications that Amos is throwing at us in this book right now. Because the context of Amos's day, a place where social injustice was the norm, where conspicuous consumption was the standard, where, where it was easier to live in disregard of the vulnerable for the sake of my comfort, we're in that same place. We're in the same place as those that Amos was talking to directly. That's a description of our world right now. So I want to take a look at the emergency notifications that Amos is sending. And I want to take a moment to consider how we should react to that instead of ignore it. And I want to do that by looking at first chapter 2, verse 6 of Amos. It starts off by giving us a list of some of those issues. And the first it says is this in verse 6, Thus says the Lord, For three transgressions of Israel, and for four I will not revoke the punishment. And I, I want to point out something. There's a poetic usage here right now with the three and then the four. Because it's intended to show completeness with the three. Uh, completeness of that sin that's happening. And how the pervasiveness of the sin by multiplying the, the number four. So three and four points to that. But continuing on in verse six, it says this, because they sell the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals. And those who trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. Sell the righteous for the silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. You know, scholars, if you uh, read a, a bit about Amos, they believe that the bureaucracy that had formed during this time in Israel, it was infested by dishonest administrators that, that invited bribery, that would use excessive interest rates, that would tax like crazy. They would disenfranchise the disenfranchised more and more. And the first thing that's come to my mind as a result of this, as Amos calls out the practices that were in place, that were devaluing, that were diminishing a particular group of people, the first thing that came to my mind was critical race theory. Now, some of you may have heard that term before, maybe just the acronym CRT. And I will tell you, in many, many Christian circles, unfortunately, it's led to some heated discussions, arguments, fighting. I, and I'm not intended this to be a place where we're going to enter into that debate about critical race theory, but I do want to clarify something about it, why this came to mind. I promise I will. The critical race theory is this. It is not a theological ideology. It is not a worldview. Okay? It is a way of critically analyzing the legal system in the U.S., to see what practices had already been put in place and continue to be in place to devalue and diminish and demoralize white, non-white minority groups. 
It's not a replacement theology of the gospel. It's not a solution to the problems of the world. What it does do is, like Amos, point out that there are some practices in place right now that are selling the righteous for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, that are trampling the head of the poor into the dust and turning aside the way of the afflicted. There is a theological impact. There are implications of this analysis, but that is left to us as Christians to understand and to apply. Critical race theory is a tool only that is available to us to better understand the context of where we live now and what we have and what we need to see, the the emergency notification to us of the things that are not right, that are not going well. I want to continue on, and I think you'll see more of what uh, Amos is trying to say in verse 7, continuing there, it says, A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. It's a very disturbing passage. And the most common interpretation of this particular accusation or emergency notification in context is that Amos is calling out the generations, the fathers and the sons, who are choosing to spend time either worshiping idols instead of God, because a lot of idol worship at the time included temple prostitutes, or choosing to spend time assimilating pagan customs like oppressing the poor who were forced into prostitution. Now, if you read this accusation, it seems to be one that's more focused on the generational aspect of Israel's sin, how, how it was being carried out by everyone from father to son. Another thing to continue on in verse 8, the next accusation that he levels out is that It says, they lay themselves down beside every altar on garments taken in pledge. And in the house of their God, they drink the wine of those who have been fined. You know, Exodus chapter 22, verse 26 and 27, it says this. Let me read that to you. It says, if ever you take your neighbor's cloak in pledge, you shall return it to him before the sun goes down. For this is his only covering. And it is his cloak for his body. And what else shall he sleep? If he cries to me, I'll hear him. I am compassionate. So back in ancient Israel, it wasn't like today where you could go into someone's closet and you'd probably see like 10 different jackets, one for each season in Chicago. Uh, it, It was just one cloak. And it was a cloak that served as protection from the elements and as a blanket at night. So God made sure that if a cloak was used as collateral for a loan, the lender wouldn't hold on to it overnight because then they wouldn't have anything to cover themselves, tuck themselves in with when they went to bed. And the Israelites were blatantly ignoring this command. They were taking and keeping the very things that would have provided sustenance or protection to the poor and the vulnerable. I think, I don't think you and I are literally doing the same thing today. I don't think we are. But I want to say, I believe that the, this warning sign that's being presented to us right now by Amos, this emergency notification to the beloved, I think this is what it means for us. That allowing injustice, allowing social injustice to continue, it means that we are being complicit in the same. Right after the murder of George Floyd, uh, David Otua and I, we, start, we did a really short series on the biblical view of, of justice. And there was an illustration that David shared. I, I, I loved it. It was, I think, a perfect illustration. He said that 
you have to consider social injustices, racism, you have to consider as a down escalator. And unless you're actively fighting against it, actively going up that down escalator, you're going down. Standing still, doing nothing is really not doing nothing. It's not standing still, doing nothing in the light of the injustice being perpetuated on the marginalized, on the minorities, on the people of color, on women, on children, on the poor. Doing nothing in the light of this, it's not doing nothing. It's being complicit because you are going down on that escalator. In our day, I think that we are taking our neighbor's cloak we are drinking wine with others' fines if we are disengaged from the fight, if we're disengaged against uh, the fight against social injustices that are happening today. I think many of you, some of you are aware of this already. I think it's important to point out or reiterate, which is this. Jewish culture, Jewish tradition, Jewish law, it absolutely required caring for the poor and the weak and the vulnerable. Jewish law required making sure the orphans and the widows were taken care of. Jewish culture built into their system of justice rules so that slavery, especially as we know it today with the modern human trafficking situation that is still a thing, Jewish culture built into their laws rules that would never allow such slavery to happen. In Israel, during this time, as pointed out by Amos, they were ignoring all of this. And, and Amos was called by God to call them out. The very last indictment that Amos, I want to focus on, is in verse 12, where it says this, but you, have, you made the Nazarites drink wine and commanded the prophets, saying, you shall not prophesy. In Numbers chapter 6, it speaks about this Nazarite vow, and I want to read that to you really quickly. It says, and the Lord said to Moses, saying, speak to the people of Israel and say to them, when either a man or a woman makes a special vow, the vow of a Nazarite, to separate himself to the Lord, he shall separate himself from wine and strong drink. Now, there, there's more to those requirements, but I think you might get the idea. So the, so the people of Amos' time, they weren't just ignoring Scripture and running away from God themselves. They were trying to take everyone down with them. There's an old saying, misery loves company. I think the goal, at least at the time, seemed to be something like this. If, if I'm going to be stupid, I'm going to make everyone else stupid with me. I'm just going to bring them with me. My wife, Suzette, she's very good at keeping me from doing that, she, from, from bringing other people down inadvertently with me, uh, from being a discourager rather than an encourager of one's faithfulness. I, I, I don't intentionally try to make people stumble, but I don't always think about how what I do might make somebody stumble. Let me give you an example. I enjoy having a glass of wine. I don't drink in excess. I don't think I do. I don't drink in excess, but I like a glass of wine or two at the end of the day. But when we have guests over, Suzette will always very intentionally make sure that the other person who's with us, she'll, she'll ask them, what would you like to drink? And that, if that person's drinking water, oh, Suzette loves water. She'll drink water. If they want a hard cider, oh, Suzette loves hard cider. She'll drink a hard cider. Suzette is ever the encourager. Me, I'm just going to have a glass of wine no matter what. So I'm a little self-centered. But I, I think God is, through Amos, is accusing the Israelites of forcing people who want to draw near to God to not. 
The people of Israel were hindering them. They were making them stumble. If you look at Philippians chapter 2, it tells us to consider others more significant. Romans chapter 12 tells us not only to love one another, but to outdo each other in showing honor. Jesus told us that the greatest commandment was to love God and to love those created in his image. We're not created to make our family, God's beloved, fall down. We are called to make our family, God's beloved, rise up. Amos is not just a story or warning for the Israelites of old. I think this is definitely something that we can, in our modern day, read and take on as a warning sign for our time. See, the injustices against the poor, injustice against people of color, injustice against women, the social injustices that are pervasive in our society. It's not right, and it should not be. This is the emergency broadcast that Amos is sending to each of us right now. And I think we need to do something about it. This is my one point for today's message, my one takeaway. And it's based on the passage that Luke so excellently read for us today, which is this. To seek God, we must seek good. The injustices of this world, we are to blame. We are to blame for these because of this simple truth. Humanity has a tendency to care more about itself than anything else. I believe that we live in a society where it's more common to cancel someone than to talk to them, where it's more convenient, it's where convenience is more important than consideration. And for this to no longer be the reality we live in, we need to seek God. And we seek God by seeking good. Amos proclaims in chapter 5, verse 4, For thus says the Lord to the house of Israel, Seek me and live. In verse 6, in chapter 5, it says, Seek the Lord and live. Israel's call to turn away from the injustices that they are perpetrating toward, and turn towards God. And turning towards God, in verse 14, as Luke read, says that we are to seek good not evil. It means, as it says in verse 15, that we are to hate evil and love good and establish justice in the gate. And that's it. And that's my message because we're called to seek God by seeking good. Simple. But the question probably is, so what's good? And we're going to get more into it later on when we look at Micah, the prophet, not our intern. But Micah chapter 6, verse 8, it's one of my favorite verses. It says this, people, he's told you what is good and what it is the Lord requires of you, which is to do justice, which is mishpat, to love faithfully or chesed, and to walk humbly with your God, with our God. We're called to honor God, to glorify God by living good. And good works done out of a desire and a heart for God. This is what we're called for. I want to leave you with some practical suggestions that I hope will spark ideas of what seeking good might look like for you as individuals. Here's one. On the first Saturday of the month, the Saturday small group we meet that meets in Wicker Park, we meet uh, at a food pantry in Humboldt Park. That's part of the Chicago Dream Center to serve those who are suffering food insecurity. Here's another one. My two nieces, they live in Atlanta. They learned about the vulnerable children in Zambia because, you know, my wife and I have shared it with my cousins. 
And so those, these two little girls decide to set aside, it's like a quarter or a dollar a week. And they're using that money to support these kids in Zambia. The women's ministry, they recently held an event called Sip and Swap, which was, and I was relegated to sit outside. But they gathered together, and they were able to gather so many donations for clothes that made it to Shana's organization that supports women who have escaped human trafficking. Another one, a number of folks here at Church of the Beloved, they volunteer with an organization called GRIP. It's an organization that tries to address issues of, of childhood trauma, of poverty, of racism, and, and fatherlessness by matching volunteers with young people and with schools. There's another organization called My Block, My Hood, My City. It's an organization that the Church of the Beloved has traditionally worked together with. They take on volunteers to inspire youth, to empower communities, and they want to build a better world, but it's at one block at a time. There are other groups as well that they're doing their best to work towards social justice, actively going up that down escalator. There's one called the Asian American Christian Collaborative. And there's another one, it's a faith-based one called the Community Renewal Society. I admit, I am not fully cognizant or aware of where they stand from a theological perspective. I do not know. But I do agree with where they stand from a justice perspective as they actively engage. The band can make their way up. I'm going to start wrapping up because, you know, Amos is our early warning system. Amos is pointing out that, that those things that we are doing that are going against God's design, Amos reminds us that those are not right, and the, and the day of the Lord is coming, that, that our Savior, the one who gave his life so that we wouldn't have to, so, so that we might take on his righteousness, that Savior, that Jesus has called us to live lives that seek God by seeking good. My challenge to you is this today. Please, do not ignore the warning signs. Seek God by seeking good. I don't know what that's going to look like for you, your context, your resources, what's going on in your community, your neighborhood, but this is what we're called to. This is the action that we are called to take based on the early warning notification we've just received. Seek God by seeking good. Let's pray together. Almighty God, you are great and mighty and powerful and glorious. You have called us to live the life that you intend, that you design, the life that will emulate the upside-down kingdom that will come down one day. We can't do it on our own. There is no way that we can achieve the perfection that you designed and we'll bring back one day, but we do know this, that you have called us to lean on you, to seek your spirit in our lives so that we might seek you, God, by seeking good. I lift this request up to you, God, in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ.